The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Doug, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Kwame. It's great to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. Thank you, my friend. No, it's great to have you back. And you are the reason why so many people are a fan of our show, because <laughs> you you wowed the audience in the past. And so we're excited to have you back on. Oh, it's, a, it's, really, it's really exciting to be here. And I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's our pleasure, man. So for those of you who don't know, Doug, how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Kwame. I am Doug Witten. I'm a mediator, arbitrator, and negotiation coach. I am a lawyer by training as well. And so I help individuals and companies resolve lawsuits out of court and also help people negotiate more effectively in everyday situations at work and at home. And so primarily what I do as a mediator is guide people as a neutral party through a structured negotiation process. And I started mediating back in 2003. And over the years, I've had a uh, the privilege to help thousands of parties negotiate settlement agreements and legal disputes. And I also love to write and create content to help people become better negotiate, better negotiators. And that's really become a passion of mine. So between all of the amazing negotiators and people I've been fortunate to work with over the years, and then learning and writing about negotiation and psychology and behavioral economics along with it, I'm really focused on the intersection of the theory and the real world application of these concepts to produce better practical results. Oh, this is great. And listeners, you can tell just by that little spiel why Doug is here with us today. And and Doug, listen, my <laughs> humble friend, please give yourself a shout out on uh, on, on your Substack too. Well, I, okay. Thank you. I do put out a weekly Substack negotiation newsletter called the Stoic Negotiator. And that's that's become a real passion project of mine where, again, I'm trying to help kind of get the word out on different um kind of, you know, underpinnings of what makes good negotiation and kind of just giving people a forum to talk about these things and learn about negotiation together. Yes, this is great. And so everybody, there will be links in the description of this episode. And today we're going to talk about that introducing that stoic mindset to negotiation. So we're going to talk about how you can manage your own emotions in these difficult conversations, how you can tap into your inner mediator to become better in these difficult conversations and yeah, creating some practical um, ties between the ancient wisdom of stoicism and what it is that we're dealing with today. And so when you think about the, uh, the importance of emotion management in difficult conversations, 
Why is this so important for the everyday negotiators listening to the show? Well, I, you know, the first thing you think about is is when you're emotionally charged, when things get a little bit emotional in a conversation, uh, how often do we make good good decisions? You know, I think it's 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 uh, one of those things where you have to recognize the emotions, but then to really get to a productive conversation, I, it, it's a, it's kind of a process of recognizing, but then turning to a conversation where you're, you're really guided by reason and your, your emotions are kind of channeled in a more productive way. Exactly. Yeah. I, so, Doug, one of the things that I, I've realized for myself is that when I'm upset or emotional or anything like that, the first thing I want to say is usually the wrong answer. You know, it, <laughs> it's, it is usually taking me in the wrong dis- direction. But that's the thing. You can you can spend a lifetime building up a relationship, but you can destroy it in one sentence if you are in the wrong emotional state. So, it's really important because a lot of times we focus so much on the strategies and tactics before the negotiation that we we forget to realize that if we don't manage our emotions during the negotiation, we won't be able to put those strategies and tactics into play. That That's right. That's right. And, you know, I think um, if you look back at one of the kind of the basic stoic lessons, you know, you can go back as far as Epictetus, who was kind of teaching that it's not the things that upset us, it's our reactions to things that do. And, uh, you know, people probably also are possibly familiar with the the Viktor Frankl idea that you have the stimulus and response between there, there's a space and that's where you have the power to choose your response. So, um, we have that control. There's certain things um, in life we can control, certain things we can't. A lot of things are not in our control, even in a negotiation setting, but we know we can always fall back on this principle that our response is what we can actually always control. Absolutely. Yes. There, there's so many angles for this. And so, let, let's do this, Doug. Let's first kind of set the stage with the concept of the inner mediator, because I think that's going to be something that a lot of people, uh, that's going to be new to a lot of people. And then let's go back, let's circle back to the stoicism quickly, because I don't think you'd be able to utilize that inner mediator if you are not in a place of emotional stability. <laughs> It'll be difficult for that's you to right. even get to that level. You know, so let's, let's touch on that. When you say intermediator. What does that mean? So, yeah, I've, I've come to think of this as, as finding your intermediator or, or using what you might call a mediation mindset. And so, people come to mediators for different reasons when they need assistance uh, resolving a dispute. And they, has, they ask a neutral third party to come in and take an objective view of a case or a situation and help them see all sides of the discussion and then communicate towards a resolution. So, being a mediator for so long, I realized that looking at, at situations objectively and um, without judgment is so essential to what mediators do, but it also creeps into the way that I manage everyday situations all the time. So, you know, relating to people going through the mediation process, I, I started thinking, well, to the extent that people can call on this sort of intermediator within themselves, not just in a formal setting, but also anytime we're involved in a dispute or we're trying to resolve a conflict, it's a good mental cue to kind of get in in the best position to persuade, resolve conflict and negotiate most effectively. So, you're kind of, to me, it's kind of um, seeking a zoomed out view of your dispute or your situation. And you might hear it as uh, getting the 30,000 foot view or seeing the forest and the trees or taking the view from the balcony, something like that, where you're able to kind of step away and really get a more objective, uh, full picture of what's going on, not just from what you might be kind of 
sort of you're sitting there on your side of the situation. But if you can kind of step back, sometimes it helps us get a better perspective and start to build towards a resolution that's going to work for everybody involved. I love that. Yeah, you're spot on because one of the things that that hurts us, like you said, it's our response to the situation, not necessarily the situation itself. And if we can change our perspective, we could look at the exact same situation, but appreciate it in a much different way. You know, and so I, I like the idea of the intermediator um, because it adds another layer of objectivity in my mind. So, for example, we can think about the, um, I believe it, it was getting to, yes, it was uh, Yuri and Fisher who came up with getting to the balcony, right? I, I think that's right. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And so, with, um, with their approach, you, like you said, you're sitting above the conflict looking down. And the thing is, that's good. It gives you another vantage point, let's say, if you're doing that literally. But it's still you yourself looking down on the conflict and you still have that self-serving bias from your that's rooted in your own perspective. But if you say, oh, there is an intermediator inside of my head who is helping me to stay objective, then it adds another layer of objectivity. So, yes, you're distancing yourself from it, getting a different perspective, but then you're also kind of forcing yourself to look at it through the eyes of a third party neutral. I'm no longer Kwame Christian. Because Kwame Christian loves Kwame Christian, and he's always <laughs> going to see things in a way that's favorable uh, to me, right? But if I have this third-party neutral, I, it forces me to be a little bit more objective. And I found that when I do that in my conversations, it, it helps me to gain stability faster and see things from a different angle. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And again, the goal of all of this is to help us make better decisions, resolve conflict, and, and have more productive negotiations by... Again, gaining that objectivity that that helps you get the best perspective you possibly can of the complete uh, situation and what what both sides might need to reach a resolution. Exactly. And I like what you said there because, again, this is helping us to make better decisions. And what you'll realize, listeners, is that what we're talking about today, obviously, it can be applied to difficult conversations. That's the, that's the context. But in general, everything that we're doing is about decision making. We live our lives one decision to another. And if we're Im- able to improve our quality of decision making, then we'll be able to improve the quality of our lives. And as it relates to difficult conversations, we're talking about what we will do and say in the moment. So I think, again, as you listen to this, don't just think about how this helps you in general for specific conversations. I want you to expand your perspective so it could just be used as a a tool for clearer and higher level thinking and decision making too. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. 
a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And that's right. That's exactly right. It, it, when we're negotiating, we really are making a series of decisions, just like we're making decisions every day in our lives. Negotiation is, a, is like a specific context. But really, like you said, this is about decision making and trying to get the best decisions we possibly can make and having kind of some mental cues and, and models for doing that. Exactly. Now, now let's shift to stoicism. This is where it's going to get fun. And I know listeners, you're saying, but Kwame, it was already so fun. How could it get <laughs> this is, We're about to blow your mind. And so, when we, let, let's kind of, let's start off by setting the stage with, uh, with stoicism. What is stoicism? And then let's move on to the stoic mindset applied to difficult conversations. Yeah. And, and the first thing I, I do want to say is I'm not walking around pondering the universe or the meaning of life or anything like that, like like maybe a typical, <laughs> whatever philosophers do. I, this, is, this is really something that's got very practical applications. So, this is very, it's a very useful it's, it's kind of a way to build on what's been thought of in the past, but, but it's very practical and it's got a lot of applications for specifically negotiation. So, this is a 2,000-year-old ancient philosophy that came out of Greece and Rome. And the, the lessons of Stoicism, again, have direct application for to negotiation. We live in a sophisticated and complex world, but but sometimes getting back to basics is surprisingly effective. And I, I have consistently observed basic stoic principles um, underlying the work of effective negotiators. And just, just taking some of the basic building blocks, using them as we approach negotiation, I've, I've found can be um, very useful, very useful. Agreed. And again, it goes back to clarity of thought. It, the clearer we are, just cognitively, the higher our performance will be. And you're right, we, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There have been people who have been thinking about this for centuries, millennia actually, and the reality is that the fundamental premise of the of the Stoic philosophies remains the same, even though culture, society, technology, all of those things have adapted and evolved, the basic fundamental principles would apply. And so, when you think about the, the fundamental principles of Stoicism as it applies to difficult conversations, what are some of the things that come to mind for you? I think one of the most important concepts is that of accepting what you what you can and cannot change, understanding there's certain things you can control and certain things you can't control, and then acting on those things that you can control. And these are 
again, this is a basic principle of stoicism. It also happens to be a quality of, I think, great negotiators and, and conflict resolvers. So there's there's that component to it. And then it's also kind of cultivating this awareness that it does allow you to step back, analyze your own senses and the way you perceive things. And one of the ideas from Stoicism too is this idea of turning obstacles into opportunity. Uh, again, very important in negotiation and mediation. And then there's this idea that there's no good or bad, it's just perception. And perception is what we can control. That's so important to the skilled negotiator to be able to respond kind of dis dispassionately and turn challenges into opportunities and also to manage our emotions, particularly emotions that might prevent us from making good decisions, kind of handling those and managing those in a way that allows us to then turn to making those better decisions and using our kind of processing the emotion, but then using some more objective and um, kind of our s second system thinking to make some logical decisions and try to get to a better resolution that way. There is a lot to explore here. Let's let's start off with um, the concept of acceptance and letting go of that which you cannot control and only focusing on that which you can control. Because I know there are some really hard charging negotiators out there because I've, I've trained them and they often <laughs> say, Kwame, how do I, how do I control the negotiation? Um, you know, Doug, this might surprise you, but people don't like to be controlled. You know, newsflash. <laughs> People do like that, right? <laughs> and so, when you have that mentality of how do I control the negotiation, that flies in the face of what you've just talked about with regard to the stoic approach to negotiation because the, a major element of that is going to be accepting that which you cannot control. And so, how do you reconcile the desire of somebody who's very outcome oriented who wants to control the situation how would you persuade that person to take a different approach and start to let go of the things that are outside of their control well that that you, you've hit on the challenge there that's a that's it's it's a very um you know this is one of these skills that i think it takes a lifetime to master because i think we do have an instinct to want to control things we are wired to crave certainty and control and sometimes in a negotiation or just just like in all sorts of situations in life a lot of these things are not in our control so when you're in a, in a negotiation i i have you know certainly it's going to be a natural instinct to try to control it but um what what i think can be useful is to first you have to make 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 an analysis of is this something i can control is this not something i control the wisdom coming out of this philosophy is knowing the difference between the controllable and the inevitable. So the first thing is, can I affect this situation? You know, if you have a person who you're trying to negotiate with and, you know, they're being, they're not seeing things your way. I mean, you know, again, what you can control is how you respond to what they're saying, what they're doing. You're not you know, you're kind of spinning your wheels if you think you're going to be able to actually control that other person. So, if there's a way to let that go and start shifting and then move to, hey, this I know I can control. I can control how I respond and I can start looking to the future. Things like what's happened in the past is another example. I can't control that. I can't do anything about that. But if we can start moving the conversation to things that we can address right here and right now, that gives us a uh, an outline for moving towards a resolution. So that, it, you know, sometimes um, 
you might need the assistance of a third party to come in and, and help you kind of see things from taking a step back and realizing that you can't control everything out there. Well, let's focus on what we can control right here and right now. So it's a very practical approach, but the hard part is knowing the difference between what I can impact and what I can't. Yeah, no, you're spot on. You're spot on. And and I like what you said about sometimes it, it's you might need to get somebody from the outside to help. It might be that third party neutral coming in and facilitating the conversation for both parties. It might be a negotiation coach helping you to see things more objectively. And I know when we do consulting for companies, it's it's not that the people don't know how to negotiate. They're expert negotiators. We just come in with a different perspective because we're from the outside, help them to see things differently, and then they think differently about the negotiation. And when you think about somebody's desire to maintain control over a negotiation, we have to take a step back and think about what's driving that. Because when you think logically about it, you will come to the conclusion, hey, hmm, it makes sense. I can't control everything. The, the person has autonomy over their own decision making. They're going to say and do things that I didn't anticipate that I cannot stop even if I wanted to, right? So there are things that we recognize that we can't control. But then why is it that we keep on trying to control? It is an emotional attachment to the fear of letting go. It's the fear of the unknown. So really, we if we take a step back and analyze it, the logical thing to do is to let go of control. And the reason why we don't let go of control control is because our emotions want, make us want to continue to cling to control. And so it's actually an emotional issue where most of the people who are trying to maintain control, they will swear that it's not. Right, right. And another related, what I think is a really underappreciated trait of a great negotiator is humility. And I think, again, building on something that I think it was Epictetus, one of the ancient Stoics had said is you can't learn what you think you already know, something along those lines. And that's, again, I think the humble negotiators understand that there are many fewer clear answers and much more uncertainty in the choices that we make. They realize that things aren't always as they seem. And just because they, you know, they see things one way, that doesn't mean there's, you know, in my case, talking to legal um, attorneys and people in, in lawsuits, that doesn't mean a judge or jury is going to see things that way. There are just too many variables to control. And um, I think um, a lot of people may be familiar with the, the, the great Mike Tyson quote about having a plan until you get hit. But he also said, if you're not humble, life will visit humbleness upon you. And so, you, you, you have to be at least have that awareness that I can't control everything. Not And also, I, I can't predict everything that's going to happen in the future. And there's things that I could learn from the other party that I don't know. Just having that open-mindedness and that, and that leads to curiosity too, that helps you start realizing, hey, there might be other ways to look at this. And maybe if I kind of get a little bit more from the perspective of the other person and that person gets a little bit more from my perspective, even though there's that desire to control, if we kind of work together and realize there's certain things we're just going to have to you know, put together here the best we can, that that gives you, you have to at least start from the realization that I, I, I don't know everything and I can't possibly control everything. Absolutely. And, and Doug, tell me what you think about this, um, because what you said made me realize something, because we understand that proper behaviors often flow organically from the proper mindset. And really, a lot of the things that we talked about today are mindset related things. If I change the way that I think about this, for example, if I'm willing to accept the fact that I'm not in control of things, that will help me to regain a higher level of emotional stability, right? We get that. And that's a mindset thing. 
what I'm realizing is that the mindset will affect your skill set because it'll affect what you do and say in the conversation. But your skill set will also amplify or have a, an effect on your mindset as well. So, for instance, if I say, okay, Doug, I'm willing to let go of control, that means now I'm relying more on my skills. I'm availing myself to surprise. I'm being genuinely curious. I'm listening. And I know that there are going to be surprises. But if I have the requisite skills in this conversation, I can lean back and still feel secure in my position because I have the skills. So it sounds like if somebody has the right mindset, that's only part of the battle. It will be amplified if you have the skill set to be able to calm, calmly accept your lack of control too. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. We're just talking about almost like a mental framework coming in. Then you can get to the skills. That's right. That's when that's, you know, but you have to come in with the right frame of mind. But then, yeah, that's exactly right. Then the skills take over and you can, there's all different ways you can try to, we're talking about a lot of things that you want to try to do in a negotiation, but there's so many different ways you can get there. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this is great. So we talked about the, the accepting the lack of control that we have while focusing on the things that we can control, like our performance, our mindset, those type of things. Talked about the power of humility. And before you go, there's another really interesting angle to this that I hadn't heard before. And this is the blend of the stoic philosophy and empathy. I really, really like that. So can you tell us a bit more about that connection? Yeah, I think empathy, if you are able to find empathy in these difficult conversations or negotiations, it helps kind of build the objective view. It helps build the humility. These all kind of work together. Empathy is something that I, I know people talk about frequently um, in negotiation conversations. But here, I think it's it's really interesting to meld it with some of these other stoic ideas. Because, uh, you know, if you ask yourself or really ask yourself what it's like to be in the other person's shoes. You don't you don't have to like the person, you don't have to agree with them or feel sorry for them, but if you can tap into how they view the world and what's important to them, you can start to understand what they might need to get out of a negotiation to be satisfied and resolve it. So again, going back to the point uh, about humility, just admitting that you don't you don't know everything about the other person's point of view, for example, you can't possibly because you're coming from somewhere different, but it's a useful start for trying to gain the best understanding you can. And it, it helps you realize it's, it's, you know, it's dangerous to make assumptions going into a negotiation. And if you really want to take it to the next level, you can even help your counterpart experience empathy towards you. And you can ask good questions. That's one way to do that. And you can ask things like, what would you do if you were me? If you were in my shoes, how would you feel about this? How would you handle this? Instead of the more, maybe the more familiar, you know, if I were you, I would... So and so, it's kind of the flip flop version, and it, it, it's it's simple. It shows deference to the other side. It maybe gets you some reciprocal deference in return, and then it helps you understand their process. It gives you valuable information, and it kind of subtly shifts the other person to see things from your side as well. So you're kind of building this reciprocal empathy. That again, it it, it works well with this objectivity idea and the humility and some of the control ideas we've talked about to this point. I love this, Doug. And and one of the things that it's that's so interesting about this blend between empathy and stoicism is the fact that it kind of pushes aside one um, bias or prejudice that people might have against the idea of stoicism, which they think about stoicism in the colloquial sense of somebody being stoic in that they don't have emotions, right? By 
Actually, we should link to this episode in the description. We, we did an episode a, a year or two ago called with the title of Empathetic Stoicism, Blending huh. Emotional Intelligence with Stoicism. It was a really interesting approach. And it sounds like here you're, you're, you're advocating for something similar where we're taking the time to to be respectful enough to learn about the other side, listen deferentially, and recognize that they are the expert in their lived experience, and we need their help in understanding where they're coming from. Um, and we're not using stoicism to disconnect ourselves from emotion, but if we do it the right way, it should amplify our emotional intelligence. Right. And that's one thing I've learned is, is stoicism is not about being kind of robotic or cold or unfeeling or emotionless. It's really you know, some people describe this as distinguishing between stoicism with a capital S and with the lowercase s. You know, I think the, the, the term stoicism, it's kind of taken on a different meaning in, in, you know, colloquial use. But the stoics, I think they're talking more about kind of managing passions that are irrational or unhealthy, like excessive anger or something like that. So, it's not about being emotionless at all. And in fact, I think working the empathy with the rest of these principles, it, it helps you complete your sort of mindset coming in as a stoic negotiator. Oh, I love this. And, and Doug, you see my, like I told you at the beginning of this episode, my challenge is going to be holding back because I know we're coming up on time. But before you go, can you let the listeners know about you, your company and how they can get in touch with you? Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, so, my company is Innovative ADR. You can find me at InnovativeADR.com and also on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out. And um, I have a handbook I've published on mediation called the Mediation Essentials Toolkit. I do put out that weekly Substack newsletter about negotiation called the Stoic Negotiator. And I'm about to launch my, full, for my first multimedia negotiation training course, which should be available sometime in the middle of uh, 2022. So I'm really excited about that. And it's been great talking to you, Kwame. Likewise, same as always, my friend. And yes, we'll have you back on to talk more about that program when it's time to come out. Doug, really appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.